Hello and welcome to another episode of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I hope you've all had a fantastic week. Um, don't really have much to report this week. We're sort of getting back to normal. Studio's still very busy and uh, yeah, that's that. <laughs> um, my kids are going uh, back to childminders in school. Uh, in Well, they'll be there now. I'm recording this early. Um, so that is a, a huge relief and takes the pressure off summer child care issues which is usually uh, what the summer is about but anyway here we go um so uh, we'll just dive straight in with part two of my conversation with andy pickering here we go so your marantz was your first machine that you'd bought yeah so i've never owned any other four track uh, i've actually got two of them now but it's only a recent thing that I've built the studio up to what it is now with with the outboard and the, the mixing desk and, and things like that. Before, let's say, a year ago, I'd still only really got a decent mic, a four-track, and some monitors, uh, and that's about it. I've here and there owned a couple of preamps and things that I've sort of bought and sold. But other than that, yeah anyone's seen any pictures of my studio now this is all pretty recent like since the last lockdown basically yeah do you i mean i know that lockdown has had a um had a huge effect on on this but prices are, are just going astronomical aren't they at the moment yeah absolutely um it's it, yeah i mean i bought the marantz 10 years ago well 2010 so 11 for sixty pounds and boxed, and clearly whoever bought that in the nineties, I think it's from ninety three, that that particular model. It never been used, it, so it gave me like ten years of perfect. I mean, I had to change a belt after a couple of years, but other than that, like so, you know. And now, like I've got, you probably I don't know how much one of those would be worth working now, but probably four five hundred quid. I think I saw your exact machine um for sale on reverb for about that and might have been it might have been above 500 um and i just bought this tascam 244 for 350 um and that's fully serviced yeah that's great um but yeah i felt lucky getting it for 350 and i know that the revox that i bought um sort of almost two years ago now that um Again, they're they're almost almost double in price. It's insane how quickly it's it's gone. It's become as popular. I know it's um, it's scary, but you know, I guess if you get these things and um, there is only a certain amount made, and then you, then of of that, there's an equation where there's probably you know fifty percent of them are, are working well, and then you know you start to the supply and demand just starts to go through roof. Do you think, um, uh, what do you think is the reason for all of this? Why do you think it's, um, why do you think it's happening? I mean, obviously lockdown will have had an effect because everybody's doing stuff at home, but why, why when it's so easy to record, you know, I'm recording this interview on a Focusrite Scarlet <laughs> and you know, it's, it's a, uh, that's fine. So why, what do you think it is that it, it, people are sort of harking back to, to this stuff for? Yeah, I think it's just the complete 
freedom without the this the, the computer screen is a big one recording with a computer screen you know uh, recording with your eyes and all that sort of stuff i think gives people a certain air of freedom to shut the computer down plug a guitar into a four track and you just record it and then you just play it back it's like the most simple simplistic thing ever but there's something about that experience taking it away from staring at a waveform and going oh what plugin can i add to that and to make it sound really good something just more honest and natural about that is i think what's attracting people there's obviously a huge sort of lo-fi scene mac demarco is like the sort of forefront of, of that for like younger people maybe 10 years younger than i am he's like their sort of you know guru and he's like pure sort of you know analog focused and makes this kind of yeah lo-fi um sound with analog gear and then that's probably making people go i want that sound i want to be able to do that so he's definitely definitely a reason of people that i know that are 10 years younger than me in their sort of mid-20s of why they would want to get that sound that's just one instance but yeah, I just think, yeah, freedom is, is is the only way I could describe it, really. People like something real, something they can actually, an EQ section that you can actually touch, you know. Um, and, yeah, use your ears, not your eyes. <laughs> That's kind of, how I, it's kind of how I learned, but there was no, it wasn't like I was particularly overly thinking about it in that way. It was just kind of um, something I gravitated towards naturally rather than yeah i think the more stuff that you've you've got to fiddle with if you like so if you know if you're recording on logic and you've got an eq that can can go anywhere you want (laughs) you're you're going to keep tweaking and then when you don't have the option to tweak you have to accept that that's the way something is and i also think that uh the pressure to record in yeah, in in a oneer, if you like, is is really interesting. You know, when we did it, when we did your basic track at my place, yeah. we did you know however many takes. I think we'd even settled on a take, and then we did another one, and then the other one became the take that we liked. And and I like that fact that we played it what four or five times, and one of those had to be the time. And it affects the way. I mean, as a drummer, you know, I've got a few choices to make in terms of fills. And a few things that can vary. You know, obviously there's a part for the song, but there's areas where I um, make choices in the moment, and it affects the way that I make those choices because I know that I can't go back on it. <laughs> it's it's got to it's got to be, you know, it, it's got to be right um, all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, doing it on on tape like that, there's an awful lot of preparation that went into my end of making sure that I sort of knew what to expect kind of when we got there although i'd not heard you play a single beat <laughs> i kind of trusted that you would you know get the kind of music that that i was making and you know be able to you know map it out and and just and just go along with it and yeah it was it was great to sort of you know yeah just hit record and then listen to it like just back um like i say you know no screen or anything just listening to it back and i know we're talking about you know, on a 60s recording podcast and uh, we're talking about cassette and I'm aware that we're not record. I'm not recording with, you know, Studers and <laughs> um, not, it's not one inch four track, you know, Studer, but 
it it's yeah, like you say this a lot in this podcast and i've started saying it a lot it's the mentality mm-hmm. that's that's what it is and you know you can still use that mentality like i said earlier you know in, in it doesn't have to be on tape but it's um it's a way of recording that sort of has been forgotten in the last what would be what would you say 15 20 years sort of. i'd have thought so yeah i think that um i feel like the last 15 or well especially growing up in in the industry um you know through the sort of late 90s and early 2000s it's it's almost like the I I know now looking back, but the records we were listening to is the Loudness Wars and the SSL desks and, and Pro Tools coming into into sort of um, action. Everybody was excited by these new options, and now we're almost in a in a regression. So I think that yeah, I think people want to um, learn how to commit to something a little bit more. That's the whole ethos is commitment to what you're doing on the four track. You. you using bounce down techniques and then you're actually erasing other stuff that you've done before so you bounce down a guitar a bass and a drum onto one track you've got to be pretty happy with that's how it's going to be because once you record over those other tracks they're gone and you can't at the end of the mix go oh i just want to notch that down a little bit and you can't you could do it with eq you know try it your best you could notch the low end off or something but yeah, it's uh, that's how I like to work. I like to come to the end of a track and put the sliders up, and um, your finished sounds are pretty much coming out of the speakers already. I think there's this sort of the way a lot of people do it now, and um, it is record a bunch of stuff and then sift through it, and you know. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I like the arrangements already before I've even pressed record to be worked out. I, I agree with you. All the hard work's done already. It's not just like throw loads of ideas into Pro Tools and then edit it all into something. You, I'm sure people can make amazing things that way, but God, I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest. I, I it's like not that. a fun way to, to make music, in my opinion. You know, I've, I've done that numerous times with artists that I've I've had at the studio and... and um, it's not. It isn't an enjoyable way to work. I, um, I really dislike listening through takes. <laughs> I have to say that might be a, a contentious point, but you know, looking down the barrel of nine, you know, nine take folders or something, and you're just thinking, what the heck? You know, I, I, the first one that I think sounds great, just I'll go with that. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Um, something I'm I'm interested in your um, take on, since learning um analog or you know as there's a lot of something that i've kind of discovered is there's a, a huge amount of nuance so you're talking about you know you mentioned then bounce down techniques and getting it you know when you're when you're reducing track counts something i've realized is how important the nuance of things like gain structure and all that kind of stuff is and i I certainly didn't appreciate coming from a sort of digital mindset how important that is. So when people talk about getting better at recording in terms of an analog sense, what they really mean is just notching up those small percentages of, you know, making sure that your gain structure is exactly right or the preamps are, are, are leveled at the, the where 
where the instrument gets the where you're getting the best of that instrument and it's all of those tiny details that you've learned go down a, a path of uh doing it all analog but it actually sounds like crap yeah <laughs> it does not mean better absolutely um there's a lot so much um myth that comes with the word analog and everything's just like oh it's warm and it sounds this and it sounds that you know buzzwords basically and there's a lot of truth to that don't get me wrong but it's like you can use analog equipment and it just sounds awful you know um noisy really noisy if you if you're not on it every single part of your gain structure like you say and like you're bouncing tracks down and everything has to be done at the right volume your signal to noise is so important otherwise yeah you're just putting tape noise all over it or you know if you're using outboard compressors and things like that they're they're really noisy if you're um if you're not using them properly and that pultec style eq that i've got is also um you know you you know if you boot because it's valve and stuff if you boost them with a high end on it um, it can end up really noisy and you don't want to get to a point where you can't fix that so you've just got to be at every stage really really on it the it was interesting for me when i did the started making these two track sessions um that i'm putting out on youtube and i sent the first one off to ben at rare tone to be mastered and suddenly the noise floor thing <laughs> hit me like a like a blooming truck it was like ah oh, because you know you're just used to being a bit conservative and suddenly you thought wow okay i need to sort i need to sort this out because it was i mean it sounded cool but it was noisy and you know you can hear it in old old recordings you know a lot of the beatles stuff isn't isn't particularly noisy because that will have been the white coats will have got that right but a lot of that the garage recordings enormously noisy and some people like tape noise in, in in a way but you've got to learn to yeah not have more than you need um, yeah it's a choice isn't it yeah same revox reel to reel and yeah if you're not careful with that it, it can be noisy and um so yeah just being just being mindful at every every, every stage is you know something that you don't have to think about digitally you go into an interface you go oh yeah it's about you know minus six and that'll do and um that's it yeah <laughs> what um I, i'd like to get nerdy on on gear for a second so if we just use this track that we've worked on as a good example because hopefully that's something that will be coming out around the time that this this um is yes. put out so people will be able to go and hear it so could you talk about the the structure of how how you recorded it when we were at mine and what was on each channel and then what happened post so taking it back to Sheffield and sort of the mix stage and how you overdubbed um could you talk us through sort of the the minutiae of that process okay yeah so so I'd got a song called Catalina Don't Be Unkind which was essentially a piano song on my YouTube channel, I did a live version of it before sort of anything. And yeah, I wanted to get involved with musicians, obviously something we've not really been able to do for quite a while. So I got together with uh, my bass player, uh, Will, and basically, yeah, figured out how we're going to do this. And it was around the same time that I'd contacted you about the session. 
So I'm thinking, let's do it on the four track. How am I going to do it? So you, uh, I did like a mix map, basically, right at the start. So let's say I'd already written the arrangement. You know, I've done that part. I've figured out how everything goes together. And I've done various demos of the song. So I know that it works. So we're getting to the more technical aspect now of right, how am I going to fit all this onto the four track? Now, this is where it gets interesting because there's two sort of sides to this. Well, one I've done on the four track, which you've heard already, um, but actually I'm doing another version on the eight track now, but I'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the four track one for a start. So yeah, three tracks. I was originally going to do bass, drums, and acoustic guitar all live together in the room. And this has all been filmed, by the way. And I'm also hoping by the time this podcast's out on my YouTube channel, there'll be the making of this song video. So all that stuff that we I filmed in your studio as well will be in there. So bass, drums, guitar. Happy with the take. Get it home. Then bounce that onto one track. Three things onto one with a bit of processing of... Um, I think I compressed the bass and put a bit of the pull tech clone on. The, talking about this equipment, like people know what I've got, but basically I've got some analog outboard. I've got like an 1176 clone, the Clark Technic stuff, which is, you know, just a, a poor man's kind of, you know, way of getting outboard, but works perfectly, does the job great in home studio. Couldn't fault it. Got a spring reverb unit and then a pull tech clone. Using all those processing to get everything sounding finished on the bounce is the most important thing because that is your foundation for your track so if you mess that up the track's not going to sound very good so you, we've got the bounce and then we've got three tracks left now i only ever performed two bounces and i never bounced the same thing twice so then i've done an organ I've actually done a double track vocal because I had to think about panning. She's very limited with panning. So the the let's say track one is the bass, the drums, and the guitar. And then track two is going to be organ. And then track three, I did a double track vocal. And I'd already planned to like pan this to one side. So doing a double track vocal before the main vocal is kind of strange and a very big commitment. So then I'd bounce those two things onto track two. So then we've got, so far we've got, what, five things on two tracks. Then that left me one main track for lead vocal and then piano. And then also while those two bounces were happening live at the same time, I'd added some percussion on top of those as well. So that's how you fit every a full production on a four track. And if you get everything right, in terms of your gain staging and all your processing, you know, bear in mind, say on the vocal, I'm recording a tape delay on it. Oh, the tape delay will be running in real time as I'm recording it. And so from my Revox, that, you know, and this is the way that you think about how you get a finished production when you slide those four tracks up. And, and pretty much everything's done. There's obviously when you're mixing at the end and you put it through a mixing desk, I use an external mixing desk now as opposed to the one that comes on the board just because I've got a better mixing desk and I might as well go tape out into it. 
I can then add in some more reverbs from the spring reverb or a little bit of additional compression if I need it. I've also got a little Joe Meek compressor that I like to patch in if I need some extra control. And then, yeah, and then mix onto the reel-to-reel. -reel. And that was basically how I did the Catalina Don't Be Unkind four-track version. But there's going to be an eight-track version because I've just bought, literally, as we're recording this two days ago, it's right next to me now, a Tascam 38 half-inch eight-track recorder. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a whim that was, but I saw one that was fully serviced fully lined up could go and test it out and um all that sort of stuff relatively local so i decided to go for that um and so i'm doing a, a 2.0 catalina don't be unkind where i am recording the bass the drums and the acoustic guitar from what we did on tracks one two and three haven't done any bounces on it yet I've I've almost got too many tracks. I don't know what to do with them. But, um, <laughs> so I'm doing a 2.0 version, and then I'm going to have both versions. I think I'm hoping the eight-track one will. I mean, you'd like to think that half-inch eight-tracks going to have you know a better sound than the four-track one. But so that's probably going to be another video where I'm going to compare the two and film. You know, I did it. This what I've just talked about on the four-track. Da da da. I'm not going to go too much into what I've done on the eight-track because I've literally only just got it and transferred the tracks over and only just started doing overdubs again now because i've done the four track stuff i um basically can't you know transfer those over into that and then overdub on that i could do that but i'd actually done the only way i made this work is through you know the grace of digital so that's <laughs> Because obviously I'd already recorded over the uh, the drums uh, the drums bass um, when I, acoustic because I'd bounced them already, so I could have put that into the eight track, but I wanted the original integrity of the takes to start fresh on another yeah. machine. So after we'd done the session, I'd bounced those into my Cubase and then recorded those onto the eight track. So I kind of gone up on a tangent about the eight track, which wasn't how we did it. So I've finished the four track one, as you've heard. Mm -hmm. But I've then rethought I want to do another version, and that's sort of what I'm working on at the moment as well. I think that's really cool. I, I'm I'm really curious to hear it because um, I think the four track one sounds sounds excellent, and it's been yeah yeah. Um, and I'm I'm very I'm very curious to see just just you know the the sort of subtle differences that it might make or not so subtle. You know, we just don't know. I'd love have to see brand new with with this machine so um i mean i can tell you it sounds great but it, sometimes you know when you're recording something and you're doing something that you think sounds great and then you compare it to something that you thought it was better than and then you go it doesn't sound as good why doesn't it sound as good i mean that's just <laughs> <laughs> so to sort of um start thinking about bringing things to a close i'm, I'm curious if if anybody's listening to this and would like to start dipping their toe in the water of, of a, an analog world. Um, what would you say was a good starting point based on your experiences? Definitely getting some sort of um, Porter studio, I would say. Gets you away from the screen. You don't necessarily have to get a tape one. There's millions of digital ones that you could still use the same, let's say, you know, same sort of approach 
Tascam um, are still making them, aren't they? They yeah, used to use the same approach. You know, if you want to go down the tape route, then definitely do it. But it would be, you know, super mindful. But you're dipping your toe in the water and you weren't going to, you know, because I've ended up with a studio now that's got like the analog outboard and the, the tape machines. I've got a mix down deck, the Revox, as I mentioned. We've got the same one that I mix onto. Uh, and I wanted to add that if anyone's interested in how I do it, that I've done a lot of videos on my YouTube channel of uh, the process. I've, I've probably done about eight videos so far, all covering slightly different things. Some of it's remixing old four-track stuff um, and going on to the reel-to-reel, which I didn't have the Revox in, until earlier this year, so I'd always been mixing di- uh, straight on back into digital. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it needs to end up digital somehow because, you know, uh, not many people are going to be able to hear it if, just on my reel. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm mixing down onto the reel-to-reel as like a finished, you know, finished mix. And that's, yeah, all part of it. But you don't need to go that far. You don't even need to start off with needing, you know, hundreds and thousands of pounds worth of outboard and, and things like that. You could just get a port studio, you've got no screen, and one microphone. Um, but, you know, the main thing about recording is everything that happens before you've even put anything into a recorder. It's your environment, it's your instrument, it's you know, what you're actually recording, all that sort of stuff, you know, it's a whole nother podcast on, on all that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, the importance of people saying, oh, my microphone sounds like crap, but it's like your room actually sounds like crap. There's nothing wrong with the microphone. You know, so, um, but like, honestly, I've seen these, I've not used one, but I've seen these little Tascam, like miniature eight-track digital recorders, and they have little built-in digital compressors and reverbs and whatever and i would imagine you could make some cool little recordings on those using all the mentality of committing to your ideas and things like that and you don't necessarily you know need to have a four track cassette if you specifically want tape then do that but there's still ways of working like this with you know something that's probably not going to necessarily break down every five seconds. <laughs> um, where, uh, where, where are your, is your YouTube channel? Is it, um, I, I, I know I've got it. I subscribed to it, but I can't remember the name of it. So it's, uh, Andy pick. I mean, if you type in Andy picker in, it will come up, but, um, but it's, you know, youtube.com slash users slash Andy pick. 68 2000 and that's because i've not got enough subscribers to change my <laughs> original you know uh, address yet so i can't change it to the name of my channel but andy pickering music you know is, i'll be straight away up there i've got loads of content right from all the all the four track stuff i've got a recording breakdowns playlist of everything that i've done and also all my music's on there as well you know we talk about I get obviously this is more about the sort of production side and how I go into recording and stuff, but there's a lot of just music on there, you know. And I've also got albums, so it's all from when I go back to the start of this conversation. Said when I first got the four track in like 2010, started from that point releasing EPs pretty much one a year, and um, and also I've not mentioned the Telmos, which is also my band, which is. The same thing, 
but um, with musicians. So I'm, I'm not doing everything myself. And I wanted to sort of include the guys and not call it the Andy Pickering band, you know, because just wanted it. And it kind of sounds it's 60s. And, um, and just to add, before we run completely over time, I did do the real deal and record at Toe Rag with the Telmos. And that's like, if you're talking real 60s, proper recording studio, that's where you go, basically. I'm pretty sure that's the first conversation that we had was about Toe Rag. And I'm, I've been trying to um, to, to get him up. That was always a dream of mine to go and record there. And, and it was exactly the same sort of thing. We had to be like coming to yours in a way that we were super prepared, you know, and, um, you know, that's, if you want, you know, if you think about a studio like mine, which is, I mean, I think my Revox is from the 60s and I've got a Philly Corder organ from the 60s, but nothing else is from the 60s that I used. Um, but in Torag, it is the real stuff. You know, I would say that my whole studio is worth um, probably like the cost of one of his compressors you know <laughs> i need to get him on to to have a chat he um we have we have been in contact but yeah i i mean i've spent a long time looking at the website and then i don't even know if there is a website actually now i've said that maybe that anyway i'm i'm going down another little rabbit hole but i'm gonna i just need to speak to him because <laughs> he does seem to be he's very high up on the list of people that i need to get on this I think we um, basically have come from the same, you know, we've arrived at the same sort of thing with the Beatles, you know, we're massively influenced by the Beatles and how they did it. And they're kind of like a gateway into learning about this recording and how they used to do it and things. Um, and that's there's millions of other great bands, great producers, but I think Beatles being so accessible when you get into them and you start finding out a little bit more, that's where you know you can really start learning about, you know, how how these records are made, and then sort of trying to do it yourself in your bedroom with some, you know, cheap analog gear. <laughs> well, this is it. It feels it does. It feels almost cliche to to bring up the Beatles all the time, but it's inescapable. They are they are the the reason for so much of this stuff. They're the the they are the reason that I'm doing this podcast. You know, they it's every they they are at the root of so much of of um you know of this kind of of sort of music and way of making music and everything about it so yeah it's, it... well, when i went to abbey road which was when i pretty much just picked up my four track like that you know changed my life really you know there was a two guys that wrote a book called recording the beatles yeah uh, two american guys uh, Kevin Ryan and Brian Curhew there they did a lecture at Abbey Road and I went there um you know bought a ticket and just to be sat in the room and playing back Beatles records in studio 2 it was kind of weird actually because the the sound of the room which is obviously prevalent particularly in stuff like please please me coming back through the speakers in the same room the same reverb coming off the same walls uh was a really weird experience but absolutely like tingling you know yeah got goosebumps listening to that and, and being you know stood in the same place but but it was a lot about recording and um 
their, their echo chamber and their, their tape machines and then and the uh, mixing desks and things like that and got to see all that sort of stuff and actually ended up snagging myself a Challen piano the same one as in Abbey Road which is on all my recordings I got obsessed with that Challen piano and um, finally saw one on eBay and, and that's like that's a staple in my studio pretty much on every recording it's a I hope they, they do those um, lectures again because I, I missed out I it was we discussed as as the Beatles the Beatles band I work with we discussed going down all together to go and do it but you know these ideas get talked about and no one no we didn't follow through with it but I'd really like to go back down again. Yeah, unbelievable place, unbelievable place. Um, so oh, I was going to say you post a lot of these videos on your Instagram as well. I know as a sort of IGTV, I think it is where you can do the longer videos. Yeah, I feel. You know, your online presence, sometimes you, you have bit stuff everywhere and it's quite hard to sort of get it, you know, all in one place. So, but yeah, so anything that I post on YouTube, I generally post on my Instagram, which is Andy Pickering Music. And also that's kind of like a day-to-day what I'm up to kind of thing as well. Um, you know, just pictures of me recording or little <laughs> reels. I didn't even know what an Instagram reel was until like last week, but uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. You know, just little snippets. If you you want to follow me, sort of on a more you know weekly kind of basis, rather than maybe like once a month, I might put out a YouTube video on the recording stuff. But, um, I'm going to link to all this stuff in in the show notes, so so people can find you. <laughs> to music uh, like Bandcamp is my main hub for all my releases which is has all the Andy Pickering and Telmo stuff all in one place which is uh, Andy Pickering music again and um, that's you know where like you could support me directly by buying my albums and stuff there but I mean the uh, Spotify I mean every kind of streaming platform I've released all of my EPs and the Telmo stuff all. So like, it's not hard to sort of find it in and yeah. And, and yeah, it's all the four track stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully by the time this gets released, I will have just released Catalina. Don't be unkind. My next EP with the title track that we recorded at your studio. And hopefully the video will also be out about talking about the processes of that as well. I like to like release music and then, do a more technical breakdown video for the sort of uh, nerds. <laughs> I think a lot of those, a lot of the nerds are listening to this podcast, me included. <laughs> um, and that's something that I, you know, hopefully we'll get to do some of soon is this is um sort of almost remote piano recording, if you like. So I, you know, I think the two most difficult instruments arguably to, to record are drums and piano. So it seems yeah. sensible to have, um, to have a talented piano player with a collection of nice pianos and a and an interesting recording <laughs> like you, um, so yeah, there's hopefully a project that I've got you know, involving Ron Ryan that we can will will be working on. But it, that's something that you've sort of looked into recently. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've always been figuring out how I can use my skills to sort of you know um, do something else that's not just my own songs. And um, yeah, so I've done session work in the past for keyboards, people, but, you know, yeah, we talk about all this analog gear, but then we've got like, you know, digital setups as well, which enable us to be able to work remotely. You know, I'm doing some composing at the moment for a company in America for like an, an app 
Um, well, it's like a program slash plugin for video makers called Dynascore, which time syncs music to video essentially, and they have like you subscribe to that and you get royalty free library of music. And I'm writing for that for those, and um, that's actually for the first time ever given me a full time job in music. You know, before that I was just you know, working in a pub. So uh, yeah, from there I want to build, and you know, uh, I'd like to get into mixing. Uh, if people want, people have done some stuff, they could send me it and I could uh, mix it with all my analog gear, um, bounce it to tape or like playing keyboards is like my main skill. So that's definitely something I have done and would like to do more of is people want, you know, anyone ever wants some sort of really dorsey organ or stuff like that. I've got a nice collection of like organs and, and I've got a real challenge Beatles piano, you know, as well. So, you know, like to sort of get involved with a bit of everything, really. I think it's great. I, I think everything you're doing is really exciting. And I I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I'm relatively new to this sort, of, this sort of world in the last sort of five or six years is where, where my interest in recording has really sort of kicked off. But you've been doing it for, for a heck of a lot longer. And it's, um, I just think it's really cool that now suddenly there seems to be this buzz of excitement for this style of recording and and you're right there at the forefront of it all well i mean yeah hopefully it was never a plan there's no uh plan with any of this stuff like i say about 2010 i bought that bloody karaoke machine and, and <laughs> just with a humble background of doing some stuff on a four track with an old band that was all i had and i've come this far you know now and if you look at my body of work that i've released um you know it's, it's mounting up to quite a lot i think i've done almost 10 10 records or something I, i'm not i don't know if it is 10 but i know it's definitely eight and this might be the ninth but with the telmo stuff i think it's it's 10 so it's it's quite it's quite a lot of, that's uh, a that's a huge amount i think getting one album out as an artist is uh is a huge achievement let alone 10 yeah so that's um and it's nice to have that chronological kind of you can i can listen to the first one crack on that was essentially just four track and one mic and and a lot of it was uh it was actually a lot of it was recorded post the posh microphones from the university uh, and I just <laughs> awful mic that i used that i thought was good because it looked really good it was like a sony 70s mic for a tape recorder and it was like big silver thing like a stereo it was designed for a Sony cassette corder, they call it. Condenser mic. Honestly sounds awful. But it's all <laughs> over these recordings that I've done because right from the start, I was just making music with what I got. That's the key. I think the key to this whole conversation is make music with what you've got. And if you have just got one crappy microphone and a tape machine, you know, at the end of the day, you just make it and just do it. And and um get into it because that's that's where i started i can listen to crack on now and i can hear the the hiss and me recording like one of the tracks i recorded accidentally on the lower speed on the four track without realizing it and then i'd finished the track and then i was like oh shit it's on the lower speed and uh and there's loads of tape hiss on it and it's on the record but i don't you know i've come a long way since there is what i'm saying but uh, it's you know if you listen to crack on and then versus like the stuff i'm doing now it's like a big big journey you know of uh, sort of 
learning this gear and then now i've got to the point where you know i mean ridiculously i've got half inch eight track my next record will be recorded with that and then yeah you know the analog and mixed onto the tape and then and i've got this i uh, didn't even mention my main sort of brain of my studio is the tascam m30 mixing desk which is like a nice transformer i mean it's 1980s but it's a nice transformer desk great preamps really flexible and i and i have everything sort of hooked up to that and i do everything through that now even when i'm working on the four track i just use a the mixing desk and don't use the i just use the tape part of the four track now it's yeah. it's inspiring it makes me want to spend some time on ebay <laughs> you're a dangerous person to speak to <laughs> it, it is dangerous but but there's a huge you know, all the stuff I've got is pretty accessible. You see, the, the conversation you had with Ben and I got some of my stuff mastered at Rare Tone. You know, he's got real gear. You know, <laughs> really, you know, totally different league to what I've got. I'm just, you know, I have got some good stuff, and all together it worked really well, and I know how to use it. And that's the main thing with gear is knowing how to use it. So even humble sort of, you know outboard clones that are really designed for the bedroom market which is what you know a, a price that people like me can afford to buy stuff like that you know um it doesn't compare to you know when you go into somewhere that's got like a compressor that, or a fairchild or something that's worth like my, say my entire studio you could you could spend four grand on something you know whereas like i've built this up sort of piece by piece at a reasonable price points um but there'd be you know it's just like learning how to use your gear and um you know all that all that sort of stuff but i don't want to like people to think that i've got some sort of like you know super high end you know <laughs> this, is, this is like this is like a poor man's analog studio but it all works and um there's nothing wrong with any of the gear it's just you know that the prices can get silly like stupidly silly but that's what's inspiring about it all that it is accessible that's that's what you just got you just got to do it it's um and, and do the work at the front end and then what comes out will be it'll be great precisely i couldn't agree more and that's a, such a, a good place to leave it thank you so much for speaking with me no problem. Uh, it's been a pleasure really enjoyed it There we go. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Andy's such a lovely guy and he's really passionate about what he does. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, he's tackling a similar problem to me, which is the you know piano is difficult to record. Uh, it's difficult to find a decent piano, find a decent space to record a piano. And it's the same, exactly the same thing with drums. Um, so if that's something that uh, you know you're interested in, I I wholeheartedly recommend Andy. I'd check his uh, website out, andypickering.co.uk. It's also on Instagram at andypickeringmusic. Um, he's got some really cool videos up there of um, his process of mixing to four track and then mixing uh, also to eight track. Now that will be coming soon on this new single that he's put together, um, and he has lots of cool videos of detailing the way he sets his studio up and the way he goes about doing the things that he does. And they're really informative and they're really interesting to see sort of firsthand how he does this stuff. So yeah, go and check that out. Um, next week, I will definitely have my conversation with Ron Ryan. Um, as I said a few weeks ago, it's, it's taken a bit of editing because we had to do it in a few different chunks. Um, 
but that will definitely be coming next week. Um, also have quite a few other exciting guests lined up. Um, I'll be chatting in the next few weeks with Joe Kane again, who since our first conversation has released the Poppermost album, which has gone down an absolute storm. Um, it was very cool to see his picture in Shindig magazine. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you haven't checked out the Poppermost stuff, definitely go and check that out. So that will be coming in a few weeks' time too. Um, I've had lots of people emailing with suggestions as well. Some of these people are very difficult to get hold of, <laughs> especially the older engineers who are not on social media. Um, so I'm having to sort of try and weave my way through contacts to see if I can find a way of getting in touch with these people. Um, so yeah, if you do have suggestions or if you know anybody or you know if you have contacts that might be able to help with um, with interview suggestions, then please do get in touch. Um, and also a reminder that if you'd like to support the podcast, you could do that by buying one of the mugs, which is on my website. All you need is drums.com. There is a shop there. You could also get in touch with me through the website or you can email me joe at all you need is drums. I'm also on Instagram at all you need is drums. I think that's everything. Uh, a huge thank you to Joe Kane, David Henshaw and Rory Hancock for the artwork, the music and the editing of this podcast. Um, really appreciate it and I will be back next week with Ron Ryan uh, see you then goodbye